Welcome. You are listening to the Audio Information Network of Colorado. This recording is intended to be used solely by individuals with barriers to print. Thank you for joining us for Hobby Radio. My name is Keith, amateur radio operator, W0NX. This week we continue with articles from the February 2023 The Spectrum Monitor, and we'll begin by continuing Radio 101 by Ken Reitz, KS4ECR. More AM antennas, wall ward hash, and freeband SSTV. Some of these examples are great works of radio art. A 176-page engineering analysis of FSL antennas can be found by googling this URL. O-S-E-N-G-R dot O-R-G forward slash articles forward slash loop hyphen antennas dot pdf Before writing last month's column, I had ordered various components to make one, but they had not arrived by the time of publication. Since then, I've had a chance to put one together, and it's been quite a revelation. The first revelation was the fragility of these ferrite bars. I started out with 20, but lost one in unwrapping them from their packaging, so be careful. There are a number of eBay vendors selling ferrite rods in various lengths. The most common for FSL purposes seems to be 10 millimeters by 200 millimeters in size, and they are generally about two to three dollars each plus shipping. I bought 20 as that seemed a good quantity. I had no idea how many I would actually need. Including shipping, the amount was $75. They're fairly heavy. I also bought a roll of 250-46 Litz wire, 40 feet long on eBay for $64, including shipping. I used 8 inches of an 18-inch styrofoam roll, $12, as the form for the antenna. I cut it to length using a long bread knife. Total cost of the antenna was about $150. FSL experts can get that cost down by half using various sources, but if you're buying straight off the shelf, you will pay a premium. Loosely following examples given on Thomas Witherspoon's blog, which includes instructions and photos from Gary DeBach, the master of FSL antenna constructions and operation, I set out to build the antenna. My wife suggested using double-sided scotch tape to temporarily arrange and hold the bars in place. We needed all four hands for this part. It would be better to have double the number of bars, but this is what we had. Once we were happy with the spacing, I ran packing tape around the circumference of the styrofoam to keep the bars in place. Next, we carefully wound the Litz wire leaving a foot or so at the beginning and end, and wrapped until we had some 34 loops around the bars. I secured both ends with more shipping tape to keep the coil tight and attached alligator clips to each of the leads. The key with the Litz wire coil is not to overlap any of the turns and to keep the coil tight with no gaps between turns. 
using a 1970 Sony transistor radio, which is, at best, a typical 53-year-old pocket radio, and features a very small tuning knob that requires veteran safe cracker fingers to separate stations, I went through the band at night, noting the usual stations that could be heard at a listenable level without any external antenna support. Then I stood it up so that the radio's built-in loopstick antenna was near the FSL, an almost ludicrous sight, and suddenly down at 530 kilohertz, Cuba's CMBQ, Radio Encyclopedia, was easily heard. 650 WSM Nashville, 660 WFAN New York, 700 WLW Cincinnati, 720 WSB Atlanta, 920 kilohertz CKNX, 1 kilowatt nighttime, from Wingham, Ontario, came through nicely. 890 kilohertz WLS Chicago, and many more were heard. If a station was weak, all I had to do was rotate the two devices one way or the other until the signal rose. Listening was tedious because of the Sony's itsy-bitsy tuning window, analog dial, and tinny, by modern speaker standards, audio. If only I had a modern small radio with digital readout and better separation between stations, how much better would it be? Over the years, I've given away all my portable AM-FM shortwave radios, doing all my AMDX on the ICOM 7300, attached to the various non-portable long-wire configurations described last month. In the spirit of ultralight AMDXing, I needed a modern, inexpensive AM-FM shortwave radio with digital display that also had reportedly decent audio. Sony's little speaker and limited 53-year-old amplification technology left a lot to be desired in the joy of listening department. So, I ordered an Eaton Elite Traveler at $59 plus shipping from Universal Radio. Yes, still in business, and still a TSM advertiser. A few days later it arrived, and I sat up on the dining room table, away from the router, computer, and various other RF hashing-inducing devices. I also commandeered a nice ceramic Lazy Susan from my wife's art room, for holding the radio and the antenna, weighing in at a hefty 3 pounds 10 ounces by itself, and allowing me to quickly rotate both for better reception, though it's a good idea to chalk the antenna, as it has a tendency to roll off the lazy Susan when you rotate too quickly. I chose the Eaton Elite Traveler because it's a widely available, relatively inexpensive, small portable radio that offers a digital display and decent audio. While it's not the ultimate in portable radios, it has a lot going for it. I started tuning the evening of January 8th, first with only the radio's built-in 16-inch telescoping whip antenna. Reception was not bad. The usual big stations could be heard if I played with a little whip antenna. The audio was great, given the size and compared to the vintage Sony. 
Placed next to the FSL antenna, the Eaton Elite Traveler really came alive. Within a couple of hours, I heard stations from Canada to Cuba, as far west as Iowa, Louisiana, and Missouri, as well as some surprisingly low-powered AM broadcasters. I heard four Chicago stations, WLS, WMVP, WBBM, and WSCR, a distance of almost 600 miles. Five stations out of New York City, WINS, WCBS, WFAN, WOR, WBBR. WHO Des Moines, at nearly 900 miles. WWL, New Orleans, at 900 miles. KMOX, St. Louis, at nearly 700 miles. And a number of stations in the expanded AM part of the dial, including... WOZN, 1,670 kilohertz from Madison, Wisconsin, transmitting one kilowatt at 700 miles. And by hearing, I mean not just able to catch the call sign through the atmospheric din. I mean armchair listening for great stretches at a time. One of the interesting things about the expanded AM portion of the band is that there is not nearly as much competition. For instance, on 1700 kilohertz, there are only six U.S. stations, nicely spread out, with one station in Florida, Iowa, Alabama, New York, and two in Texas. Further, FCC rules limit the power of these stations to 10 or 5 kilowatts daytime, and much less at night for some. But there is one big caveat. If you hear a strong Spanish-language station on these frequencies, it's likely from Cuba. While the FCC database lists all U.S., Canadian, and Mexican stations licensed for AM, the Cuban stations are not. But you can't miss them when they are on frequency. According to FCC records below are the U.S. stations on the expanded AM band. I've heard many of these one-kilowatt stations with the FSL antenna and the Eaton Traveler. One great AMDX target to test your radio and antenna combination is 1,710 kilohertz, which has only one station authorized to transmit. The call sign is WQFG689, and it's a Traveler Information Service, TIS, automated station that transmits a continuous audio loop. It's owned and operated by Hudson County, New Jersey. While most TIS stations are limited to 10 watts, WQFG 689 is authorized for 100 watts. I could not hear that station with my FSL, but with the ICOM 7300, it was 5-9, solid copy, on the big horizontal loop, about 400 feet around at 30 feet, and almost as good on the much smaller Wellbrook active loop. The stations listed below show the nighttime power allowed for each. U.S. stations on 1,610 kilohertz. There are no U.S. stations licensed for 1,610. And, except for one Mexican station, all stations listed are in Canada, and all of those are in Ontario or Quebec. 
In my location, CHAA, Toronto, Ontario, dominates at 1 kilowatt from 400 miles away. U.S. stations on 1,620 kilohertz. WTAW, College Station, Texas, 1 kilowatt. KOZN, Bellevue, Nebraska, 1 kilowatt. WDHP, Fredericksted, Virgin Islands, 1 kilowatt. WNRP, Gulf Breeze, Florida, 1 kilowatt. KYIZ, Renton, Washington, 1 kilowatt. KSMH, West Sacramento, California, 1 kilowatt. U.S. stations on 1,630 kilohertz. KCJJ, Iowa City, Iowa, 1 kilowatt. KFBU, Fox Farm, Wyoming, 1 kilowatt. KKGM, Fort Worth, Texas, 1 kilowatt. U.S. stations on 1,640 kilohertz. KDZR, Lake Oswego, Oregon, 1 kilowatt. KBJA, Sandy, Utah, 1 kilowatt. KZLS, Enid, Oklahoma, 1 kilowatt. WTNI, Biloxi, Mississippi, 1 kilowatt. KDIA, Vallejo, California, 1 kilowatt. WSJP, Sussex, Wisconsin, 1 kilowatt. U.S. stations on 1,650 kilohertz. WJFV, Portsmouth, Virginia, 1 kilowatt. KBJD, Denver, Colorado, 1 kilowatt. KCNZ, Cedar Falls, Iowa, 1 kilowatt. KFSW, Fort Smith, Arkansas, 1 kilowatt. KFOX, Torrance, California, 490 watts. KSVE, El Paso, Texas, 850 watts. U.S. stations on 1,660 kilohertz. KQWB, West Fargo, North Dakota, 1 kilowatt. WTOU, Kalamazoo, Michigan, 1 kilowatt. WGIT, Canovanas, Puerto Rico, 1 kilowatt. KBRE, Merced, California, 1 kilowatt. KRCI, Waco, Texas, 1 kilowatt. WWRU, Jersey City, New Jersey, 10 kilowatts. KWOD, Kansas City, Kansas, 1 kilowatt. WCNZ, Marco Island, Florida, 1 kilowatt. U.S. stations on 1,670 kilohertz. WMGE, Dry Branch, Georgia, 1 kilowatt. WOZN, Madison, Wisconsin, 1 kilowatt. KQMS, Redding, California, 1 kilowatt. KHPY, Moreno Valley, California, 9 kilowatts. U.S. stations on 1,680 kilohertz. WOKB, Winter Garden, Florida, 1 kilowatt. WPRR, Ada, Michigan, 680 kilowatts. 
KRJO, Monroe, Louisiana, 1 kilowatt. KNTS, Seattle, Washington, 1 kilowatt. WTTM, Lindenwold, New Jersey, 1 kilowatt. KGED, Fresno, California, 1 kilowatt. U.S. stations on 1,690 kilohertz. WPTX, Lexington Park, Maryland, 1 kilowatt. KFSG, Roseville, California, 1 kilowatt. WVON, Berwyn, Illinois, 1 kilowatt. WIGT, Charlotte Amelie, Virgin Islands, 920 watts. WMLB, Avondale Estates, Georgia, 1 kilowatt. KDMT, Arvada, Colorado, 1 kilowatt. U.S. stations on 1700 kilohertz. WJCC, Miami Springs, Florida, 1 kilowatt. KBGG, Des Moines, Iowa, 1 kilowatt. WEUP, Huntsville, Alabama, 1 kilowatt. KVNS, Brownsville, Texas, 880 watts. KKLF, Richardson, Texas, 1 kilowatt. FM amplifier generates its own hash. Last year during Antenna Mayhem, a time during which I spent almost all of 2022 recovering from, the -the over-the-air OTA, VHF, UHF, TV, FM preamp had been fried from a nearby lightning strike during the summer storm season. For a replacement, I went first to Channel Master, my go-to antenna electronics maker. There are many similar TV, FM, antenna amplifiers on the market from Amazon that are much cheaper and with free delivery, making those a bargain into the bargain. To my dismay, most such items from Channel Master were backordered, another victim of the well-known supply shortage. I was in a hurry to get my over-the-air TV and FM reception back, so I opted for the Amazon bargain. The new preamp came quickly. I mounted it on the antenna mast, and OTA, VHF, UHF, TV reception was back to normal. One of the things I liked about this particular model was that it offered two 75-ohm coax outputs, one for the TV and one for the FM receiver. I had scanned through the FM band, and at first hearing everything seemed okay. It wasn't until a few months later that I decided to do some serious FM listening and discovered that on certain frequencies, the local college station that offers some eclectic programming as well as live performances, for example, there was a great amount of interference from some source. Trying to isolate the source of the interference which made it impossible to listen to a large portion of the band, I first tried rotating the antenna away from a possible noise source. No help. No matter where the antenna pointed, the hash remained. Then I decided it must be something connected to the power strip that powered most of the electronics involved. My suspicions centered around the small transformer that powered the antenna amplifier. 
I pulled the plug, and miraculously the interference disappeared, along with the robust signals on the TV and FM band. These cheap switching-type power supplies are often the culprit when it comes to this type of interference. But rather than ditch the system, which consists of the plug-in power supply, the amplifier distribution amp, and the mast-mounted preamplifier, I thought I would try to find a filtering solution. Surely, filters would be cheaper. I first went to Palomar Engineers, home of the Stop RFI Now motto. They offered dozens of solutions, including toroid rings and snap-on slip-on filters for AC-DC power, feed line chokes, you name it. I opted for their Wallwort RFI noise filter pack that had a number of ferrite rings around which one can wrap coils of wire at the transformer end or the plug end or both. At $17, it seemed like an easy way to solve a $70 problem. Within a few days, the rings arrived, and I experimented with winding and placement of the ferrite rings to no avail. The noise was as bad as ever. In addition, I tried larger rings and coils on the antenna leads from the distribution box to the FM tuner. No help. This transformer was a serious RFI menace. I recalled that I had earlier bought a genuine channel master amplifier that was waiting on a shelf in the electronics closet. I pulled it out and used this instead of the cheaper Amazon antenna amp. Mounted up by the antenna and using a noise-free power inserter, it worked perfectly. No noise anywhere on the FM band. I found that it didn't seem to have much gain on FM, but certainly for local stations it was perfect. I wondered why I hadn't used it before. Then I read the instructions. Does not pass FM signals. Yes, it has an unswitchable built-in FM trap. No wonder it wasn't much of a DX antenna amp. And then I remembered, that's why it was sitting on the shelf in the electronics closet. Duh! So, it was back to Channel Master to order the correct amp. This time I ordered the Titan II high-gain preamplifier, model CM7777V3, for $65. The unit, which has a well-sealed metal housing, oddly enough made in Bulgaria, includes the mast-mounted preamplifier with mounting hardware, a power supply and power inserter, which sends the power to operate the preamp up the coax. But, pay attention, the unit is shipped with a switchable FM trap that is factory set to the in position. You'll have to remove the four screws at the bottom of the preamp and put the switch to the out position. It's almost impossible to read. On the plus side, the mast-mounted preamp has a small green LED, which can be seen at night from the ground, to confirm that power is going to the preamp. Luckily, last summer, when I replaced the original preamp, I placed it far enough down the antenna mast to be able to reach it with a 21-foot extension ladder. 
No need to bring the entire antenna down for servicing. After replacing the preamp, I went back inside and connected the power inserter to the small transformer and connected the output to the Sangean AM-FM HD tuner. Rejoice! No RFI hash. The only drawback to this unit is that it doesn't have two outputs, one for the TV and one for FM, but a simple AB switch can accomplish this task without any noticeable insertion loss. We'll finish the short remainder of this article next time. Thank you for joining us for Hobby Radio. My name is Keith. If you enjoyed this program, please register for our free services at www.aincolorado.org or by calling 303-786-7777.